All right, let us pray. Lord, as we find ourselves in the midst of this season of Advent, we pray that as we look at the Christmas narrative and what it would hold for us in just looking at attributes of you, that it help in our waiting our yearning, and as well as our preparation for your promised coming. But we thank you for this gift to the church that Advent is, and be with us as we dive into your scripture to practice more of this season of Advent. Meet us where we are. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, how was breakfast? Delicious. They always do a fantastic job. As uh, Joe shared last week, as I was away for Thanksgiving, he opened up this four-week series that we're doing uh, it, that is going to point out a characteristic of God. And we're taking the, the narrative, stories from the birth narrative, and then we're going to be looking at different aspects of God. And I first wanted to, Joe had alluded to it a little bit last week, but say why I just, it, I really wrote this for myself um, and how I normally am during the holiday seasons. And I hope that you can identify with that. So that, what are the holidays? Just an opening question. Yes, sir? Did you get the recorder? Oh yeah, it's going. <laughs> it's going. Yeah, this will be recorded for those that, that want to go back and do it. Um, this is a question is, uh, how, do you, how do you, Thanksgiving to Christmas or New Year's, how do you normally find yourselves? Busy. busy? Busy? Anything else? Hurried? Hurried? Yeah. Maybe stressed out? Yeah. All of that? Uh, we experienced that last week when I was at, at Thanksgiving. Just the, for us, it was just the travel with kids, having five days on the ground and then getting back and everything else that went with that. But my dad and my sister this year, my, my grandmother turned 86 and she has relinquished control of the meal and dedicated it out to everybody. Yeah, praise. Yeah, all good. She, she was loving it. She made her dressing in a pie and she was very relaxed. But but my dad and sister, who took on the role of doing that for the rest of the family, they were stressed. And I mean, I mean us getting there and seeing and tasting that stress, and we were like, we're here. Can we help? Can we help? And just, you probably experienced something like that. But this time of a year, the holidays promise us something that, that in a secular practice never seems to deliver. And if you're, if you're a big fan of movies during the holiday season, like I am, um, you, we're promised the Red Ryder BB gun, but it never, it never seems to come. Or one of my favorites, we're promised that bonus check at the end of the year, and we can put in a new pool for the family, and we're just hoping that comes. And what, we, and what does come? The Jelly of the Month Club instead? Yeah. <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving all year. Some movie fans here. And then on more, on more deeper, deeper levels, um, all families come in different sizes and shapes. And I know reconciliation seems to be a theme of the holidays. Maybe this will be the year that you and your father, you and a sibling or an estranged family member, maybe this will be the year that the promises of reconciliation of the holiday season, when you'll be together, will happen. But how many times have you had hopes and dreams similar to that just to be let down? that it didn't happen. 
Has that happened during the holiday season for you in one form or another? Well, that's, that's like, as I started to put together the four-week series, that was the big why. I want to be able to not be thrown to or fro, happy or really let down in the promises of the holiday season. And I want to rest in the gospel and what it means that December 25th, whether all of those happen, those things that you hope happen, happen or not, that as it's all over and you're putting the tree back in the box or on the curb, all the lights come off the house, that it doesn't come with disappointment but that we rest in the gospel of Christ and what his coming as Emmanuel means for us and that it be a gift that keeps on giving uh, every day of the year. That December 26th come and we not be back at, you know, the holiday doldrums, but that this gift that we have in the church keeps giving all year. So that's what we're doing, the big why this was all put together like it was. So last week... Joe talked to, uh, he did the Exodus and then coming into Matthew, looking at the attribute or the characteristic of God that is deliverer. Today we want to build on that and we want to look, and you'll see that Luke 2, 8 through 20, we'll read in a moment, is there on your table. Um, We're going to look at the characteristic of God that is glorious. And of course, from Genesis 1 all the way through the end of Revelation, there is several thousands, if not millions, of pictures of God's glory and how it is experienced. So we're going to come into this, narrow that down into this gospel mostly of Luke 2, 8 through 20, and we're going to look through the lens of the shepherds um, and actually see how they received and experienced the glory of God. And then we're going to do a little bit of application into what that means for us today. Not getting lost in the story back then, but see how it is applicable even to us in this very moment in this season of Advent. So that being said, let's look at Luke 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom with he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And that it has been told them. The word of the Lord. 
So a first thing to consider is just the shepherds themselves. A first thing that it is just actually a scandal. If you actually think about, if you wanted people to believe the story of Jesus, is the fact that shepherds are involved in any form or fashion. Although the imagery of a shepherd is redeemed in the scriptures, and the Bible would talk positively of the role of shepherd. Actually, Psalm 23 says what? If you remember that famous, the Lord is my the, the actual idea of shepherd has been redeemed by scripture. But it, in the first century, you wouldn't find much lower than the shepherds. There were a few who were considered on the hierarchy of people lower, but shepherd was one of the lowest. What we know from history, especially that first century time, is that shepherds could not hold public office. And their testimony was not admissible as evidence. Uh, the most religious and pious of Jews in the first century would not buy milk or baby sheep uh, from or wool from shepherds because a stereotype is that it was stolen. And this, this is how that came to be. Um, and it's not all shepherds, but it was a stereotype of shepherds in that time. In this period, a shepherd would take a sheep and would uh, head sometimes away uh, it, from where the owner would be, a property that was far away from where the owner was. And if the owner didn't make regular checkups on what the shepherd was doing, uh, you could easily get away with theft. Now, they, they would raise the shepherds, or the sheep, and if there were baby sheep, maybe they wouldn't uh, put the brand or however they would claim that as the owner's sheep. And it was easy for to steal a few of the new baby sheep that would come and take them elsewhere. And the, as the shepherd may travel back, back home or give it to their family that was back home, as the shepherd would be all about the flock, that they were being paid in different ways to watch. But they could take one or take two, and the owner might never know that that kind of theft had happened. And then uh, there was actually, with the first century Jews, they had a boycott against buying things from shepherds, namely uh, milk and wool, because it might be coming from stolen sheep. It went to that level. And where there actually started to be some systematic injustice with it all is that most of the time, the, the way a shepherd would be paid was by sheep. The thing you're actually raising, they would actually pay you in that. Here, have all the things that you're working for, for you. And this stereotype would come that we're not going to buy things from you because that sheep may be stolen. So all of a sudden, the thing they're paid with, that, that nobody may buy what that sheep is producing as a baby. So you can see how, how this stereotype is adding to... Um, just the idea of the shepherd in the first century. A philosopher in Alexandria, which was the intellect, it was an intellectual center of the world at that time, actually said this about shepherds. There is no more disreputable in an occupation than that of the shepherd. They cannot be trusted. They are brute, thieving, and deplorable men who prefer the company of animals and other men than they do community life. This is how shepherds were seen. And 
as we've said, they were not allowed in the temple. And because of their handling of the animal and their supposed lifestyle, they literally were not allowed to come and worship in the temple and make sacrifice. They were despised and rejected, and they were seen as wicked and depraved. I hope that context adds as we dive into the gospel that we've just read. And yet moments after the Christ child had come, after the birth of Jesus, the heralding of the good news of the gospel did not go to the ruling elite, but to who? The shepherds. It, it, it wasn't the most pious or religious of the Jews, but in a sign of what Jesus would be all about, the heralding, the heralding of the coming of the Messiah went to those that God could not actually come to by human rules himself. What we see happening in this text is the glory of God in a lot of different ways and fashions that we'll look at. But the glory of God was shining all around the shepherds. What, what do you, when I say that statement, the glory of God, what do you think of or what comes to mind? The, what? Light. Light. Good. What else? Glory of God. Joy. Joy. Presence. Presence. Power. All all good things. What, what we, what, how I liked it when the way you can tra translate the glory of God, specifically in this, this context, that it's a hard thing to put in a box, but is the weight. The weight of God showed up. The reason I like the word being translated that way is because it's a kind of weight that is heavier than anything else. And what we see here, when the glory of God shows up in the birth narrative, it reshapes and it reorders. It pushes out and it breaks free. There is nothing as weighty as the glory of God in our known universe. When the glory of God shows up, it changes everything. The glory of God shone all around, not those brothers. <laughs> you think that the shepherds think about if they're, they're at the fire with the Torah, breaking it out and have a theological uh, discussion. That is not who God came for first. Some, some of the shepherds may have been well-versed in Torah, but knowing their place on the outside, not even able to come into the temple, I bet most of them didn't. And then that's who God came to first. The glory of God shone all around the shepherds, those whom society can't trust, those whom the broader culture said were thieves. Regardless of whether they were or not, the glory of God, the weight of God showed up for them. Now, if I gave you a list of the top 100 of the people that you think would be responsible for being the first messengers of the glory of God, would, you, would the shepherds be on your top 100 list, knowing that that is how they were seen in, in society? And the interesting thing about the glory of God is that it was already there that night around them. As they were saying, waiting on Christ to come, the glory of God was all there as we read. Let's set the scene as we're diving in a little bit. They're in the middle. The shepherds are in the middle of a field, in the middle of the night. 
And what we know because of excavations uh, of where they would work and tend to the sheep uh, is that they would take field stones and build basically a pen with an open door. I'm pretty sure Joe's talked about the way it, that they would attend to, especially in the Good Shepherd sermons that he's done and teachings about how they would be, they, they were paid. That was their, their sheep were their primary resource and, resource and primary attention. And they would leave that door to the pen open and they would sleep there as well as they would be fully attentive in ears, not really getting rest if a predator was coming to take the sheep. That was how, the, how they know in excavations have told us. And as that is happening, the stars are shining. You have the shepherd's ears that are attuned to any snap of a twig and any rustling of the leaves because a predator could be coming. And with the weight of it all, if you lose a sheep, that's out of your paycheck. You have a heightened sense of awareness of what is going on around you. Then out of nowhere, here's that glory. An angel of the Lord shows up and the glory of God shines all around them. Here's some application for us in that. There is never a moment where the glory of God is not visible. There are just different amplifications of the glory of God in different seasons and different times of our lives. And let's look at it and consider it as the narrative, the birth narrative tells us. In verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great what? Terror or fear. So this is the thing when the glory of God shows up. Outside of an angel appearing. Now, most of us, when we've read this several times, probably think seeing something like that in, in the physical world, an angel, something extraordinary, that would probably just scare us to death, right? If we're encountering something like that. But I'm going to bring something maybe you have or maybe you haven't thought about with that term fear. As the angel shone around them that night, terror or fear. When the glory of God shows up, it actually exposes us for who we are. And the shepherds, it exposed them. Of course, they saw a miracle happening in front of them, something they have never seen before, but they were also exposed. The most consistent people say to me in conversations, if, if I asked you the question, are you a good person? What's your answer going to be? Not, not all the time. Joe shaking his head, no. I heard a few, well, yeah, well, yeah, I'm a good person. But here's something to think about in this text. The glory of God shows us up and it exposes the shepherds. And the best way I thought about illustrating that, if my son that's five, he's, he's almost faster than me, but not yet. <laughs> but if I told him, let's run a race, Right now, I can dominate him. Like last night, we were at the, the boat parade uh, on Julington Creek, and we were there a little bit early. So, of course, with young kids, you have to entertain them. So we raced a few times, and I, I smoked him <laughs> a few times. And, you know, of course, I, of course, I love that. But think, in a moment's flash, what if Usain Bolt... Who is, if you know who that is, or a great track runner, comes on and says, Well, I see that. I see you doing that to your son. Let me, the king of a lot of championships, run against you. All of a sudden, just like that, I'm Jackson. 
And Usain Bolt's probably going to beat me every single time. Even he, he, He's one of those world record holder Olympic guys from Jamaica. But that is what it is like with the glory of God. When it comes on the scene, every bit of swagger, every bit of our confidence, our self-justification, our own righteousness, it melts away in the light of the glory of God. This is how it exposes us. And because of that, we have awe or fear as the glory of God shown up and they had terror the shepherds, or fear. This is when the glory of God comes to us and we experience that for what it is we are exposed. In one moment, my pride and puffed up miss running with Jackson, and then all of a sudden, the real king comes on the scene and exposes me for what I actually am. This is the holiness of God. When the king comes in the room and on the scene as we anticipate the coming of Christ, all our confidence melts away. And we see this repeatedly throughout the word of God. As we are looking at Isaiah in our sermons leading up to Christmas, he says he's made acutely aware of, our, of his deep and desperate need of a savior Woe is me, as he experiences the glory of God. I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king from the great prophet Isaiah. Now look at verse 10 there. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord." When the glory of God shows up, it drives out fear and replaces it with what? Joy. When the glory of God, we do that that first part in verse 9 we've talked about, but with the coming of the Christ child, with the coming of the good news, fear is driven out and replaced with joy. It exposes where we have fallen short. The glory of God does. It exposes where we are wicked. It exposes our, where we are in our minds, our thoughts, and the evil deeds we can do. But it exposes those secrets we think no one else knows. God knows all things and sees all things. And the motives behind the things that we do and yet. The glory of God doesn't expose that but it eliminates us. It, it, it brings it to light, brings light out of the darkness, and it frees us from the grip that fear can have on us and brings joy. A big, something Joe was talking about as deliverer last week, and you, you'll hear in sermons on Isaiah this week, are the thing, themes of wrath and judgment. But the purposes of wrath and judgment and all of those things that uh, lay before you, the good, good news drives out fear and replaces it with joy. Wrath and judgment that show up in the form of the glory of God expose these things. And that fear of the wrath of God was with the cross and nailed to the cross. And as we are being made into the image of Christ daily, during this season of Advent, during every day of our lives, of our Christian journey, that's what fear is taken away and replaced with joy. That's the theme of the sermon this morning as well, if you have already heard it or not. Now, how is this possible? 
really think about this. How is it possible to not fear? If there is a holy God who is purely righteous, who is just and who hates sin and who rages against injustice, how are we not to fear a power or a being like that? And yet we hear, fear not, because I bring you what? I bring you good news. This good news, this is the good news that drives out the fear of our hearts about the wrath of God. Everybody, if I asked you to quote John 3.16, what does that say? Good, we did. We know it. I hear it. I hear it. But what is verse 17, 317? You know this one? Yeah, yeah I hear it. I hear somebody. Just as John 317 is just as epic as John 316. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to what? To save the world through him. When Christ shows up in full glory, Christ is coming into the world. And this is why the shepherds are getting and they're becoming heralds of the good news. Jesus wasn't born with a little tiny sword and a list of people to kill for not obeying the law. That is not why he came. Christ is born as the life raft in a sea of condemnation, death, and destruction to climb in for all who will be saved from the condemnation that is already present in the world. That is why Christ had to come. That is what we await, what we prepare for, and what our hearts long for in this season of Advent. The good news is that God made a way where we could not make a way for ourselves. When the glory of God shows up, it creates trust in the Word of God. Look at verse 15 in your reading there. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I, I love going further with this. Just his reasoning in this text, what we see happening among the shepherds. He says, Let us go see the things the Lord has made known. I want there, look, look at the confidence here in the word of God and in the glory of God. This sense of adventure that says, the Lord said it, so let's go see it. And the glory of God builds their confidence as well as builds our confidence. When you see that weight of God in the glory of God, the splendor of God, the might of God, you're driven into confidence that what the word of God says is true. In the actual context the shepherds are in the middle of nowhere, and an angel said, here's the sign. Here's where you will find the child. He's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And their response to this, the Lord said it, let's go see it. Now they have the long walk, and I think about the context of it all, the long walk to Bethlehem, and they had no idea exactly where the stable would be that they are supposed to go see this child in. Then they have to find the baby. We have no idea how long that actually takes, but this is the nitty-gritty of the narrative. These brothers, the shepherds, by faith, had to leave sheep that were given charge of and that they were given to 
There was sacrifice in their going to see the child. There was risk and there was faith. When the glory of God shows up, look at verse 20 as we consider more of the attributes of the glory of God. And the shepherds, what did they do after all of this was over? What did they do in verse 20? They returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Here we have the shepherds showing up. They found the baby and recounted what the angel had said. Now, can you imagine Mary, of all people, doing everything Mary, the mother of Jesus, had been through up until this moment? But do you think she just thought it was natural? You've learned what the, the shepherds, their stereotype. Do you think there could have been, this is conjecture, but do you think there could have been any part of Mary saying, why are the shepherds here? Why are they here with the, with the stereotype she was growing through? But Mary stored up all things in her heart, her stereotypes as well as everything, as her appearance with the angels, as she has experienced the glory of God. The shepherds left and returned to shepherding. And here's what is important to note about that. The glory of God shows up in the day, out, the, the day in and day out of our worlds. For the shepherds, nothing has changed in the social standing of what they, where they lived in time and space. It's not like all of a sudden, since they had heard from angels and had gone to the manger and seen the Messiah, that all of a sudden their testimony can be accounted in a court of law. It's not like all of a sudden they can hold public office, and it's not like they can be trusted in the eyes of society just because they had experienced this glory. None of that was fixed, and yet how did they return to shepherding? Rejoicing. They returned rejoicing in their plight in life. Here's what the glory of God does for us all. The glory of God injects gratitude and the highs and lows of our lives so that joy becomes a foundational element of the Christian experience and way of life. Having beheld the glory of God and now becoming intimately aware of how good and gracious God has been to us regardless of our circumstances in life. The shepherds leave rejoicing. The shepherds leave praising God. But where were they going? Back to the fields and back to the sheep. This is where, as I said earlier, the glory of God invades our space and exposes us and yet replaces our fear with lives of joy. Here's what should be true about us who are in Christ. Having experienced the grace and the glory of God and the generosity of God in our everyday lives, we should be all the more aware, aware of what good, what is good and right in our world, rather than being an expert on all things that are going wrong. Shaped by the glory of God to recognize all the good in our lives and in the world, in that moment, things start to change. I'll leave us with this. The Apostle Paul says this, and I hope you hear this as encouragement with, as we experience and, and just ponder the glory of God this morning. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all with unveiled face, we all who are believers in Christ, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. 
We are during this season of Advent beholding Jesus, beholding the glory of God and the promises within the weight of, of God and beholding his glory in our lives. We are being transformed one degree at a time over our entire lives into the image of Christ that came, Emmanuel, with us. Amen. Amen. Any, uh, there's a lot there, um, but any, any reflections or questions that you may have? Yes, sis? Stop and follow me. That it doesn't word it this way, but maybe the glory of God came over them and they dropped what they were doing mm-hmm. and followed him. Yeah. It's a good connection. Mm-hmm. Any other reflections or questions? Yeah? Mm-hmm. First ones at the temple. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just looking at this. Uh, you can imagine uh, as the uh, shepherds were uh, contemplating what was going on when the angel appeared to them, then all of a sudden, after he said the heavenly host yeah. started praising. So yeah. it's kind of a dual scenario there, but imagine that. The angel, and then the heavenly host come declaring the glory. Right there? Where did the star come in? Where did it come in? Yeah, there's contemplation about if it was star, which star it was, or if it was something else extraordinary going on that led them there. But that's, that's, that's all more of the glory of God, how they found the baby as a way that was leading them there. So that's, it's all part of the glorious revelation. Anybody else? All right, let's close in prayer and then you can either get on with your day or head to church, whatever, whatever is next for you. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to look at your glory, especially in the lives of the shepherds and what it meant and how it changed them and how how it still changes us as we experience this day in this season of Advent as we await your coming and we also prepare. But let this thank you for the opportunity to dive into your word, to consider your glory and, and let it just be part of our preparation of the celebration for your coming and looking into the future. In your name we pray. Amen.